idea. We are in, uh, we, we're in our study of the book of Ephesians that we started at, uh, at the end of summer, beginning of fall. It's going to take us all the way up through the Advent season. We are in chapter 2. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. Uh, but last week we ended with a description in, uh, in our passage from last week of, of the new reality for followers of Jesus. The movement from death to life. The transformation that comes from stepping into the identity and the reality of adoption, the selection God made to call us his children, the reality of our place as full heirs to the kingdom, he called us masterpiece. We saw that last week. He called us the art that defines the artist. As we are remade into the model of humanity that is the person of Jesus Christ, God calls us his children masterpiece. In our passage today, we see another movement that joins the move from death to life, the movement to unity. We see in this two, two parts of the how of God's plan that is chapter 2 of Ephesians. First, the call for us as individuals to come to the place of adoption. And then the next phase to create a family from those that God calls his kids. These two phases work together as the function of the living God, as the outcome is the church. God's chosen vehicle for his activity in this historical age. So last week, again, we saw how the, the how of God's plan worked out through that transforming work that brings an individual person from death to life through the power of the re resurrection of Jesus Christ. But for many religious people, that is the extent of the journey. They miss the second phase that brings unity. They miss the outcome of that unity, which is the application of the power of the resurrected Christ in the lives that are touched by the church. Now this letter that we are, concerning to, that we are considering together, Ephesians, it's not necessarily new information for the church in Ephesus, and it isn't really new information to us. Its function is to serve as a reminder, a check for understanding, a metric to evaluate our application of the how of the plan of God. Paul's reminder to the church in Ephesus and, and also to the church in Billings, Montana, is needed because the movement from death to life and from alienation to unity is a road littered with bad theology, brokenness, upside-down logic that pushes against cultural norms. It's got fits and starts that demonstrate all of this is a process, and it's also a process that many of us don't really nail it the first time around. The very things that, that are being worked out of us, also coupled with the action of the enemy who hates us, who hates God, and whose goal is to lie, kill, and destroy, make this journey really difficult. Two examples of that, about this, this difficulty of working out the journey, working out the how, the two-part how of God's plan. Two examples that speak to this difficulty is selfishness and self-loathing. Now, first, let's talk about the self-loathing part. 
And one thing that I'd mention too is, is we get an opportunity to see if this is real. If you feel like I'm speaking to you in this piece, don't allow this to sit in isolation. When we have time for ministry, receive prayer because these lies from the pit of hell need to be broken off. Self-loathing works against our progress because we, we distill the greatest commandment down to this, love God and love people. That is really a bad thing. And I've done that from this very place countless times to distill down the greatest commandment to those four words, love God and love people, is incomplete. It's an incomplete presentation of what Jesus actually said. What did he say? Matthew 22, 37 through 40, we see him say this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God and love people fits really well on a t-shirt. It fits really good on like, like mail cards. Turning this into a slogan misses a really important piece. Be important as yourself. See, think back to what we talked about with Ephesians 1. If you don't know our, your own identity, if you don't know your identity, if we don't know our identity, if we don't know the price that, that, paid, that was paid for us, that demonstrates our worth, if we don't know why we would be called masterpiece, the work of art that defines the artist, if we don't know our worth, then we're not going to see it in others. If we don't know our sonship, if we don't know our daughtership, we will not see that in others either. It's not possible to loathe yourself and love others. We can't move from death to life if we are unable to love who God created us to be. That is a truth. We cannot move from death to life if we don't know our identity. We cannot move from death to life if we don't love people. We can't love people if we don't love ourselves. Now, what I'm not talking about is a selfish application of that. But if we don't understand this truth, that we are called to love our neighbor as ourself, then the how of the plan of God won't be accomplished. In a similar fashion, the movement to unity is difficult because selfishness also corrupts the process. As we move through the individual process, that movement from death to life, honestly, the selfish part of me wants to stop there. It would be easier for me if I could just stop there. I would deal with a lot less in life if I could just stop there. My salvation, my personal relationship with God, mine. 
when I make the plan of God about me and I allow the plan of God to stop with me, I would like to be saved and then just be done. That whole be in community thing, that's where all the difficulty comes in. And so I'm just going to stick with the, like, I just want it to be like, you know, me and God are boys and we're just going to be boys over here. Being in community, the body of Christ thing, that's good for others. But for me, I just want Jesus to save me and then let me be. Earlier in the series, though, we talked about this. We talked about how false loyalty, how if loyalty to Jesus does not result in love for others, it isn't Jesus that we're being loyal to. And so when we talk about the how of the plan of God, it's not the plan of God that I'm working out if I stop with my own salvation. If I want to be in isolation of the body of Christ, then I'm actually choosing to be isolated from Jesus. Let me say that again. If I'm choosing to be isolated from the body of Christ, I'm choosing to be isolated from Jesus. These two movements that we see in Ephesians chapter 2 work together to make the how of the plan of God. Movements from death to life resulting in unity as a body of believers that work as the activity of God in this age. This reminder comes to encourage us as we fight through the morass of our brokenness, of our cultural pushback, of the work of the enemy that doesn't want us to be on this journey at all. So, let's get into this reminder. Ephesians 2, we are starting in chapter, or in, in verse 11. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who are proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not, not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of, of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ Jesus. Unity. Unity is God. God acts as a unity in all of his deeds. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, all united in one Godhead. They're interrelated with each other. They share the same attributes. They cooperate in the same work. God's characteristics are consistent, expressed, in an integral divine nature, in unity. This picture of the Trinity is also a picture of creation with God at the center of order. Unity, cooperating in the same work. We can't have unity without diversity. And that truth is displayed in what Paul's writing here to the church in Ephesus. We see unity through diversity right off the bat in the presentation of the separation from God as a starting place for everyone. Two groups that Paul is speaking about here encompasses everyone in all of history, Jews and Gentiles. The Jew he, he refers to, uh, these are the members of the nation of Israel, the elect th that God 
uh, worked his plan of reconciliation through by making covenant promises, giving the law, sending Jesus as king to take on the sins of that nation and make atonement through his death. Gentiles is a category of, of all the others that are not a part of the nation of Israel. So with this, what we have is everybody. The starting place for the Gentiles is simply this. They were just without God. The word Paul uses for this is the same word that we use for atheist. They were living apart from God, living as though God didn't exist. And we might know a time like that from our own journey. A time where God was not a part of our reality. A time that God was not the center of our order. A time that God really functionally, in terms of the way that we lived our life, did not exist. For the Jews, their starting place, for the special, the, the special condition of the elect of God, this had, had led to apathy and religion. A religiousness that allowed an outward mark to, play, to take the place of inner transformation. Paul talking about circumcision here, he's talking about the mark being the stopping place, the inner transformation not occurring. The nation of, of Israel without God because they had created a religion to take place take the place of relationship. It's interesting, too, if we consider how the cultures around the nation of Israel created gods out of stone, out of wood, out of earth, they would create these things with their own hands to worship. These are gods made by hand. We know these are counterfeit powers. These are powers from the commander of the realm of the air. And the Jews, knowing that, though, allowed circumcision to become the same. A power accomplished by the human hand devoid of real spiritual power. Circumcision became the same as worshiping idols. The, out the outcome of both of these realities is being without God and without hope. This is one of th this is pretty important point. God and hope go together. You can't have one without the other. There is no hope without God. There is no God that doesn't lead to hope. Another way to say that is there is no point to life without God. There's no point to life without God because what do you really have? You have all of the stuff that you have to do and then you have death. Without God, there is no point to life. Also in this opening of our passage today, we see that there is no room for hierarchy because all of us share the same starting point. We all start in this place of being separated from God. Whether it's because we have a religion in place of relationship or because we didn't know God in the first place, we all share the same starting point. That starting point is death. And after Paul makes the point that we have the starting point, that we are in this place of death, we have another one of these amazing, but God. 
verse 13. We are now united with Christ Jesus because of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, the payment that brought us to the place of sonship. The shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ represents the humanity of Jesus and the giving of his life as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all of us. We see in 1 John chapter 5, the blood of Jesus is a part of his humanity. Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water alone, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. We see in Hebrews chapter 9 that the blood of Jesus Christ is a sacrifice. Hebrews 9 verse 12 with his own blood, not with the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse the, the people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For the, by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to, to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. With that then, the blood of Christ becomes a symbol of our atonement. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. With this and what we celebrated together is the, the institution of a new covenant that comes because of, of the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, we see Paul write in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Making the point again, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 says, you have come to Jesus, the one who, who mediates the new covenant between God and and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. The blood of Christ also brings us redemption, and with redemption also the promise of total restoration. Peter, in 1 Peter, writes, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Paul in Colossians wrote, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Unity comes through the blood of Christ. So back in our passage for today, picking back up in Ephesians chapter 2, verses, verse 14. Paul writes, For Christ himself was, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. In his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. 
He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new group from two peoples. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Praise God for that. He brought his good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Now, because of the blood of Jesus, no wall of hostility can remain between believers. Our diversity leads to unity, and that unity testifies to our faith in Jesus. Unity is now a distinguishing characteristic of God's people. It derives from our common relationship and is expressed in commitment to one another, mutual concern for each other, concerted action and harmony within a believing church. Prophet Malachi wrote, Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? That's a good question. I'm glad he asked that question. It's a good question for us to to be asking now, when there is so much coming against this idea of unity. There is so much coming against what Paul is reminding us of in Ephesians 2. Paul writes in Colossians 3, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where your starting place was. It doesn't matter all of the things that might make you different from me. If we believe that Christ is all that matters, then Christ lives in us. 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote some of I'm sorry, I just read that one. I didn't. 1 Corinthians, give me a second. I'm going to get it back. 1 Corinthians 12. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. There is nothing but unity that flows from that writing. Unity also marks out God's people. And when I say that that unity marks out God's people, what I mean is that unity is what will make us identifiable to the world. John 17. We see this from Jesus. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. 
May, the, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that, that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus prayed for our unity, but also he gave us this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is John chapter 13. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This unity then creates the church. The unity creates the church. The church then becomes the mechanism for the demonstration of God's power in this age. Back in our passage today, finishing Ephesians chapter 2. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling, where God lives by his spirit. So the body of Christ then is the how of God's plan worked out in this historical age. The church is one in essence because it's founded on one gospel, united to one Lord, indwelled with one spirit, the activity of the one plan to reconcile all of creation to the one God. This unity bought by the, by, the, by the blood of Christ results in the church. And the church is the how of God's plan. Loyalty to Jesus, the movement from death to life, is demonstrated by the movement to unity in his plan. Paul writes in Romans 12, So, it's with Christ, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. And we need to hear this, church, we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. John 17, again, what, Paul, what, what Jesus prayed for us, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will know that you sent me. This unity matters. The writer of Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And then finally, Paul in 1 Corinthians writes, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. Now that ought to mean a little bit more to us now is we're unpacking identity, we're unpacking adoption, we're unpacking sonship and daughtership. Paul saying, dear brothers and sisters, what we see in that is unity. I appeal to you, those that I am unified with, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in one thought and purpose.
So now as we turn back to worship, as we finish the, fir- the first and second chapter of Ephesians, our identity is known. We're brought to life together. We're covered by the blood of the resurrected Savior. We are the church, and nothing can stop us. Amen?